Welcome back, everyone. This is Ryan Selkis. You're listening to another episode of Masari's Unqualified Opinions, where each week I discuss key industry trends with crypto's top investors, builders, and thinkers. Just a reminder, Masari is much more than a podcast company. So if you're an industry professional or crypto investor, head over to masari.io and check out Masari Pro, our crypto toolkit that offers best-in-class research, advanced screening, and charting tools to keep you ahead of the investing curve, plus a new enterprise alerts tool. We're also hosting the industry's largest virtual event, the Mainnet, this June 1st through 3rd, with over 50 hours of programming, 100 confirmed speakers, and virtual networking that's so seamless, you'll feel like you're actually there. 50% of the profits are heading to COVID relief, so go reserve your spot today at mainnet.com. Dot events. That's masari.io for pro research and tools and mainnet.events for the best virtual event you'll attend this year. With that, strap in for another episode. Going to be a good one. This episode of the podcast brought to you by Luca. Save money this tax season with Luca Tax, the only time-tested crypto tax software. Luca has listened to your feedback and now lets you calculate capital gains and losses, seeing the results using three different accounting methods side-by-side, all for free. You only pay if you want to see their detailed tax reports and submit your forms using their software. Luca supports unlimited transaction downloads from all major exchanges and wallets and helps you optimize your tax reporting so you can max out this year's refunds or minimize how much you have to pay. Luca wants to help Masari's Unqualified Opinions listeners save even more this year. So use promo code MasariTax and you'll get a discount. Much more importantly, you'll do your taxes correctly and stay out of jail. Download LucaTax at Luca with two Ks, tax.com, and save money this tax season. This episode of the podcast brought to you by crypto.com. We know times are tough. That's why crypto.com is introducing three different measures to help its community with their new crypto.com app and credit card. First, they're waiving the three and a half percent credit card fee on all crypto purchases in the next three months. They're also offering 10% back when you use the MCO Visa card on food and grocery shopping. And as always, you can buy gift cards on the crypto.com app for merchants like Whole Foods, Safeway, Burger King, and more with 20% back on food and additional 10% back on groceries. So download the crypto.com app today. This podcast is presented by Blockworks Group, one of the top blockchain events and media production companies I've worked with for exclusive content and events that could help you with insight into the crypto and blockchain space. Check them out at blockworksgroup.io and you will not be disappointed. All right, everyone. For today, we've got a special double feature where we're going to speak with two mid-cap crypto projects, Zcoin and Zillica. I'm talking to Ruben Yap, who's the co-founder and project steward at Zcoin, a privacy protocol based on the Zerocoin implementation. We're going to talk about zero-knowledge proofs, but more importantly, how they think about their general ranking in the subsector of privacy coins, how they continue to build, how they think about security issues, and ultimately how they can move up the ranks to increasing relevance, not just for other investors, but for broad-based adoption for more private cryptocurrencies. Uh, Colin Miles, on the other hand, is the head of marketing at Zillica. We're going to talk about Layer 1 smart contract platforms, their sharded blockchain, and similar challenges that they face making headways against, in many cases, much, much better funded smart contract platforms and potential competitors. I think both of these gentlemen have interesting things to say, not just about how to garner mindshare, but ultimately how to rally ecosystem support, integrate with other blockchains and infrastructure companies, and how to think about trade-offs in their own network's security. I'm thrilled that they agreed to do this double feature. I think you're going to enjoy it, especially if you're in that 500 to 300 range in market cap 
and are continuing to build relentlessly, but have yet to achieve breakout success or widespread attention. It's a good one. Uh, we're going to kick off with Ruben, and then the back half of this conversation is going to be with Colin. So we got one hour, two 30-minute episodes. It's an experiment. We hope you like it. Let us know what you think by sending us a message or replying in the notes. Let's get right into it. All right, everyone. Welcome back to Masari's Unqualified Opinions. I'm Ryan Selkis at 2-Bit Idiot. have another terrific guest tonight, live from the Citadel. As you can tell, he's got a much fancier background than I do. I got out my Zoom <laughs> background game. Talking about Ruben Yap, who is the project steward at Zcoin. We're going to talk about what a project steward is. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, Zcoin, uh, one of the uh, top privacy coin implementations that's currently on the market. Um, the history of the project, a little bit more about ZK Snark, some of the upcoming developments that uh, Zcoin has on the roadmap. And uh, I'm sure a, a whole host of uh, fun compliance and other technical nitty gritty. Um, uh, Ruben, you know, I, I like to start just by uh, giving people the opportunity to, to introduce themselves and, and, and really just tell their own personal origin story. And then, you know, in particular, how you came to be involved with the project that you're involved with, which is which is Zcoin. So w why don't we kind of take it from the top? Um, what got you into crypto and, and, and ultimately uh, got you to the point where you are now the steward uh, of the Zcoin project and this international community? Sure. Um, so first of all, I, I was a, a lawyer for about 10 years. Um, I guess I started maybe in like 2006 or so. And um, what actually happened was uh, my government started censoring the internet. Uh, you know, it kind of started with like explicit content and then it moved to P2P. And after that, it went to even things like political speech. So it was like a slow creep of uh, censorship. And what actually happened was to kind of, uh, you know, circumvent this, I started a VPN company in about 2007 uh, called Bully VPN. Mm -hmm. And... What happened then was VPNs were actually considered a risky business. Uh, they kind of put it in the same category as adult entertainment. And as a result, uh, I, a lot of credit card, uh, I couldn't accept credit cards. I couldn't accept a lot of payment methods. Uh, and on top of that, as a privacy uh, you know, focused service, a lot of people were then asking me, why don't you accept Bitcoin? And this was kind of like in... 2012 or so, I didn't really know much about it. Uh, the first thing I found out was like, how do I convert this to cash? <laughs> and I should have uh, kept a lot more, but <laughs> uh, benefit of hindsight. And that's kind of uh, my first foray. I, I started accepting uh, Bitcoin at the end of 2012. So that was my first foray into cryptocurrency. Then after that, I just caught the bug. I went into mining, you know, lost a bunch of money on exchange hacks. <laughs> uh, and yeah, went through the whole shebang. And I actually got really interested in early cryptocurrencies, uh, such mm -hmm. as what was then Darkcoin, now Dash, and then uh, Monero as well. And kind of like in 2016, uh, you know, I kind of like done most of the stuff that you what you could do with cryptocurrency and i was really interested to see okay i really want to see how a project works uh from the inside and and learn how things are being run and what it takes 
And Zcoin was just about just launched in like September 2016. They had a really innovative way of approaching privacy, and I offered my services. Uh, and I don't know how it became from like you know community manager to basically uh, kind of like looking after the project right now. So that's mm -hmm. in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, one thing, uh, Ruben, that, that I always uh, am, am fascinated to talk about for projects that are in your size range, um, you have some advantages. The advantages are you can move a little bit more quickly. You can experiment with some of the um, newer technologies um, and you know, move fast and break things seems incongruent with a privacy coin where you're, you're trying to, you know, ensure that people's you know, funds are being uh, you know, stored securely and, and, and totally off the grid. But at the same time, that has to be an important element of, of the strategy because you're around the top 100, I think, in, in terms of market cap. So not nearly as liquid um, you know, orders of magnitude, uh, you know, smaller than, than, you know, some of the more well-known uh, privacy coins, Zcash, Monero, uh, you know, in, in particular. And then, of course, Bitcoin with some of its privacy you know, features. How do you think about positioning um, in general, but especially in a market like this where it seems like, you know, we're a couple of years off the highs, um, it seems that there's more interest and enthusiasm that starts to migrate towards those assets that have more liquidity, that have um, greater levels of, of kind of ecosystem development. And I don't know what the threshold is, but there is a threshold where it's tough to remain, you know, a, a kind of going concern from a community standpoint. Um, and yet, you know, it seems like you guys have, have been able to, to, you know, find this balance um, and maybe stay above uh, the, the kind of critical line, the critical threshold that you need to. Um, so you don't lose community. It, it doesn't become just, you know, uh, like a zombie project. Not that you're close to it, but I think I think you, you, you get what I'm saying. Right. I don't know if it's, yeah. in the, you know, outside of the top 300 or, or exactly where that line is. Um, what, what, what is the strategy? Um, and how do you think about success um, going forward? Is this a, a zero something where you're you're competing directly and, and trying to absorb more market share, um, or are there specific use cases that, that you think Zcoin is is particularly well catered to solve for uh, this type of of end user? I think that's a great question because I think you know especially in this climate. Uh, you know, there's this growing idea of like Bitcoin is the only coin that matters, maybe Ethereum, and then, you know, maybe something in the top 10 or top, top 30. I think that's been like the common benchmark. And sure, you know, I do agree that, uh, you know, of course, interest is always going to flow initially to the large caps. Uh, you know, they have a lot more moment, momentum and such like that. But I, I, one of the things that Zcoin kind of positions itself is that first of all, we our privacy mechanism is actually pretty unique, uh, and in the sense that you know many others uh, like you know like Monero, Grin, and whatnot. I mean, we're, we're a larger cap than Grin as well, even though they're pretty high profile, uh, and the whole idea of them kind of 
hiding transactions in the crowd, right? So I guess the mm-hmm. way I like to illustrate it is footprints in the sand and how their models work are like if I have, if I make footprints, I make a lot of other footprints around the kind of like obscure where the trail of my, my personal footprints are. Wow, the idea of us because we allow people to burn coins and then redeem them later for brand new ones with no previous transaction history is almost like a mm-hmm. wave washing in and like there's no, n- there's no more trail, right? I do think that's mm-hmm. a more, uh, it's a better privacy model. And of course, like, you know, when you compare to Zcash, they have a, a really amazing technology. Uh, I do think that they're more on the bleeding edge of things and it's highly complex. So what's actually been kind of happening there is that because it's so highly complex, they are very reliant on the ECC. That's slowly changing with the Zcash Foundation and stuff like that. But it means Mm -hmm. that if you want to be a decentralized project, but you're so reliant on the centralized team, uh, that's an issue. Uh, For us, we, we still have a similar model, but the thing is that our privacy protocol is built on a much simpler construction while offering still very high levels of anonymity. So because like ZK Snarks is so complex, it's almost like um, like almost like security through obscurity in a in a in a certain way. Well for us, you know, you can de- deploy it, people can audit it easily, and we don't have trusted setup. We use like, you know, no moon math. So I think that's a really big thing uh, that that ZCoin has an advantage on the technical standpoint. Mm-hmm. Now, from a community standpoint, uh, I don't think any coin has actually gone through this like bear market unscathed. Everyone has lost a community, and uh, I, I mean, people may say, "Oh, yeah, you know, you don't have the critical mass." I actually feel that a community of engaged people have grown towards this uh, period, and I think it's because, well, first of all, I think. Honestly, we're one of the much more transparent uh, projects out there. We've been like communicating, not just the the highs, but also the lows. <laughs> like you know, when we got mm-hmm. uh, exploited for some of the the cryptographic flaws. But I guess the idea is that as long as you have your morals uh, and principles there, you know, people will gravitate towards a project that's community focused and also you know solving a real need. Uh, which is privacy. And I feel that uh, there is definitely still room for other privacy coins because there's no perfect privacy coin. We all have different trade-offs, right? Like, you know, Zcash, you have their trusted setup, their, their complex stuff, but very high levels. And on Monero, you just have this kind of like cryptographic mixing. So, and I think it's really too early to tell who, who would be the winner. And I mean, we're still really in its infant stage, I would say, cryptocurrency. So I actually welcome that there's competition uh, in, in that regard. In terms of liquidity, you know, I think this has actually been rapidly improving. I mean, we recently just got a USDT pair on Binance. So that's, that's mm-hmm. great. Uh, but at the same time, uh, it's not as if we're listed on the largest exchanges as well. It just needs kind of that, uh, that push. And we, actually, our liquidity is a lot better than a lot of the coins that are, are higher up than us, like for example, like a great project like Decred or stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I do think that, yes, you're right, that you know, in, in, in the bull market, you will always start with the large caps. And then, uh, but I do think that as people 
uh, as the market progresses further, there's still definitely room for uh, the, the projects that I guess are more volatile and less liquidity, but at the same time, maybe we're more undervalued. That's how, my, how I personally see it as well. Yeah. Um, so the, the, you know, one way that you can um, uh, you know, make inroads and, and, and attract people to the community uh, is around tinkering with some of these new um, privacy protocols. And, and you were the first, I believe, to integrate Dandelion um, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, even today is, I think, somewhere on the, on the Bitcoin roadmap, whether that's something that's incorporated now or, or, yep. or later. Um, talk a little bit about Dandelion, um, the original uh, zero coin protocol, and, um, and then this new uh, Sigma protocol. But maybe you start with Dandelion and, and some, of the, um, some of the privacy-preserving elements that you don't uh, necessarily need to invent yourselves uh, or th- that are not necessarily a core focus, but which you're able to experiment with earlier because you, you do have a little bit more flexibility as a mid-sized project. Sure. So Dandelion, I mean, we need to distinguish it as a network layer privacy uh, protocol as opposed to like mm-hmm. a blockchain layer protocol. So the, I guess the difference is that the blockchain layer protocol is about breaking the links, you know, hiding it on chain. Well, Dandelion is more about, okay, preventing an IP address from being associated with, uh, with a transaction. Uh, so that's the key difference. And previously before Dandelion, you know, the ways to do it was just like connect through Tor or connect through, uh, you know, a VPN and stuff like that. And obviously that's an outside service and not everyone wants to do that. Dandelion, how Dandelion works is that, yeah, it was developed by uh, for Bitcoin originally, um, and for certain reasons, they are not, it's not being adopted yet. But Dandelion allows instead, uh, so the way, the problem that Dandelion hopes to solve is that, first of all, the way that Bitcoin currently propagates transaction is through a gossip protocol. I tell mm-hmm. another note, that note tells eight other people that's connected to it, and vice versa. So if you look at it, it's almost like dropping a rock into the pond and then you can see it kind of ripple out. Now, uh, scientists or like actually anyone with the necessary technical expertise, which isn't that high, can connect to enough nodes and observe how this transaction propagates through the network and therefore have a very good guess as to, okay, I think this transaction originated from this bunch of IP addresses. And as that person does more and more transactions, then obviously the, the chance of de-anonymizing that along with other data comes a lot, uh, becomes a lot easier, right? And then the line how it does that is by kind of breaking the ripple, uh, making it a lot harder to observe the ripple by kind of bouncing your your transaction off several nodes uh, before broadcasting it to the public. So it's almost like suddenly it appears as if like there's 10 rocks being thrown uh, mm-hmm. and like there's ripples everywhere, which makes it very hard to pinpoint where the originating transaction was. So that's kind of how Dandelion works in a nutshell. And since we implemented it, Grin and Beam and other, uh, I think these are the other projects that currently uh, implement Dandelion. So that's how it works. We implemented it. Well, I can't really remember when we implemented it. Maybe about one or two years ago. And uh, it's been working pretty well. It's pretty lightweight. Uh, 
but I guess it has its limits uh, in the sense that it's pretty good because it's privacy on by default. You don't have to have anything. It's like, you know, it's, it, you don't have... You don't even see it as a user. You don't really have to think about turning it on or stuff like that. It just works. But uh, it is not perfect against, let's say, state-level adversaries which have controls over like the ISP networks and stuff like that. So that's why we're also looking into more complex mechanisms like mixed nets in the future. But Dandelion is a good uh, transitional uh, network layer protocol. Yeah. Um. And the uh, you mentioned an exploit um, of the the zero coin uh, protocol. Talk about that saga and the new, um, uh, you know, first of all, you know, what happened uh, and and you know what steps you took to kind of mitigate the damage and and how uh, you've you've kind of made it through the other side now with um, the integration of Sigma protocol, the the new um, zero knowledge proof. Um, mechanism uh, so so zero coin uh just for, by way of background there were early um there was early overlap between the zero coin uh research and zk snarks and, and zcash correct right um so what um what divergence uh did did zcoin take early on uh, in in you know the life cycle of the project that, that led to this split and, and ultimately to this vulnerability. Sure. So I mean, first of all, uh, Zcoin and has no relation to the Zcash project. <clears throat> uh, I, I guess the only link was the zero coin protocol came first, mm -hmm. and the protocol that Zcash uses is called the zero cash protocol. Although they have similar ideas about like, you know, kind of destruction and then redemption and using zero knowledge proofs, the cryptography behind it is almost completely different. Uh, they have totally different cryptography, different assumptions, different constructions. And <clears throat> so I think in 2000, was it 2014, the zero coin paper came out and our founder, Poramin, was actually studying under Matthew Green, uh, who's a Zcash scientist, if I'm not mistaken. And he, mm -hmm. of course, the author of the zero coin paper. And he, uh, Poramin, really, really wanted to implement this. Of course, when zero cash came along, uh, it was supposed to be an improvement on zero coin uh, in many aspects, like higher anonymity, better performance, but it relied on, again, it required a trusted setup. You know, a couple of guys have to kind of set this up and destroy those parameters. Uh, so you, you have to make sure that's done correctly and it uses a lot of moon math. So it was a huge divergence because, yeah, you have this, uh, you know, kind of like bleeding edge thing well, on the other hand, zero coin was a kind of more conservative approach. And back then we felt that, you know, there's benefit to to relying on RAC cryptography versus something like, you know, ZK Snarks, you know, pair, pairing based cryptography, because it was a lot simpler then. We took it, uh, we actually improved upon it, you know, we had uh, several like cryptographic improvements and, and hardening of the zero coin protocol. But what actually, uh, I think it was maybe about one, one and a half years back, uh, a cryptographic flaw was found in the zero coin protocol. And what that means is that basically there was a way that you can forge a proof that gets accepted even though you didn't, like you could redeem coins even though you didn't really burn them. So that, mm -hmm. that's a, a pretty big uh, issue. 
Uh, and and, and just had, to be clear, just to be clear, this was different from the vulnerability that the Zcash team had had discovered. Yes, that that was a totally different uh, vulnerability. Mm -hmm. uh, this vulnerability was not like a coding error. It was more of like an issue right in the basically the nuts and bolts, the cryptography of of zero mm -hmm. coin, and. I mean, so many people have seen the zero coin paper. So many people have adopted it, not, not just us, like Pivx and, and many other folks and cryptographers, like top cryptographers have gone through it and yet it went unnoticed. So it's not as if because it was like a lack of trying. Um, so we had then kind of seen some weird patterns like we were seeing every block, there was like huge amounts of zero coin spends and we were like, that doesn't look right. Uh, we took a look at it. And at first we were like, we don't really know what's wrong, but something's not right because now there are more redemptions than, than burns. That totally doesn't make sense at all, right? Uh, so I guess that's kind of the benefit that of, of like a semi-auditable supply because we could tell that something mm -hmm. wrong was happening. And therefore we, uh, you know, we've... We contacted the pools, we contacted the exchanges to kind of suspend uh, ZeroCoin uh, for the moment while we figure out what's wrong. We actually found out the issue relatively quickly, I think within maybe two weeks or so. Uh, and it was a really uh, tough one to find. Um, but we, we did a responsible disclosure. I think we saved a lot of other projects that were also using ZeroCoin as well. Um, and... The thing is that we actually for prior to that hack, actually for the past year for that, we had actually already kind of stopped looking at zero coin because we had always wanted to remove trusted setup. Uh, like, you know, for the, the users that don't know what trusted setup is, is it was a ceremony that you had kind of had to create initial parameters and then destroy it. If you if it's not done correctly, if it was not destroyed correctly, or there's some flaw in the ceremony, which actually kind of happened with Zcash with the initial ceremony, uh, people can actually uh, print infinite coins out of thin air uh, in a very undetectable fashion. So that's uh, really bad. So removing that trusted setup is a great way to, you know, improve trust of the system. Uh, kind of ironic, but... That's why we were working on Sigma, which was uh, a similar construction to ZeroCoin, but it didn't require the trusted setup. It actually came from a paper by some really good cryptographers like Jens Grot and, and Markov Kowai. So uh, we took that concept further and it was really interesting because when we first took it, everyone kind of dismissed it to say that, why are you using this old technology? Uh, you wouldn't get good performance out of it. And we even spoke to some of the Zcash engineers and they were like, uh. but we actually managed to get it really, really competitive. And, and, and one of many proofs, this is a particular uh, paper, is the basic mm -hmm. of, of Lelantis, which is on Nick's uh, privacy protocol. And everyone was really surprised as to the level of performance and anonymity that we could actually get from this system. So, Yeah. <laughs> Um, I guess, you know, you, you made it through that one storm. Uh, it didn't kill the project, obviously. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, Sigma has now been, uh, you know, uh, included and, and, and the upgrades have been made. 
You've got uh, another major milestone coming up um, with the uh, the new uh, ZK. Is it a, is it a ZK Snark? Look, uh, uh, no, no, it's called. Uh, it's actually still using the same zero knowledge proofs as as Sigma. Uh, it's called okay. one out of many proofs, mm -hmm. but it it adds uh, certain additional blinding factors that makes it a lot more powerful. Uh, like for example, like I, you know, like now you have to burn and redeem. Now I don't mm -hmm. even have to to do the redemption. I can pass the right of redemption to someone else. So it's almost like a, a Z to Z transaction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and and that milestone coming up this year. What are some of the other uh, major milestones that you're working towards um, to continue to advance the project and and either you know promote additional adoption or or include. Uh, more application developers get wider acceptance for for the currency itself. Sure. So one of the really cool things that Zcoin did was in, in 2018. I think we were like the first large scale uh, blockchain election of any meaning. It was the Thai Democrat Party that that held its primary elections to elect its leader on our blockchain, and there was like 127,000 votes uh, across uh, Thailand. Uh, now there's uh, been talks about implementing this uh, again uh, maybe with like you know better uh, like improved mechanisms as well so we do see that you know privacy we want to kind of say like hey look you know privacy is not just there's a, this like narrative that privacy is for bad things but we're like hey look privacy can be used for governments for voting and, and other stuff like that uh, so we think that that's a very promising uh, path to take our technology uh, and we have our new Elysium tokenization layer, which, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's just like a basic token layer, but the, the beauty of it is that you still inherit all the privacy features of Zcoin. So let's say, yeah, I want to do voting. I have a voting token. Now people can like vote to an address so that it's anonymous but verifiable or poll using that. And people can just create this themselves, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Or on top of that, you say like, I want a hacker bounty token and maybe hackers are more like privacy conscious. They're not going to accept Bitcoin or whatever. I mean, what whatever people want to use it for. And you can do that using uh, the Elysium layer. So that's uh, pretty interesting. Uh, and that's set to launch maybe in the next one month or so. Uh, that's really close. Another thing that we are, we are kind of quite different is that because we believe in uh, as fair distribution as possible as we can mm -hmm. uh, for our coin and we are proof of work coin and we believe that uh, if people can mine with commodity hardware like GPUs and such, uh, it's a lot more inclusive and it also helps to create community uh, versus like those like, you know, ASICs, uh, which basically it's only the big boys who, who can play in that uh, field. But the problem with dealing with commodity hardware is that you become a lot more uh, exposed to 51% attacks, especially as a, as a mid-cap coin. And like, you know, you have all these other coins that are using GPUs and now you can like rent this hash rate and there's no, like I can attack a coin and I can still use my GPU, right? Well, if I'm an ASIC, if I attack, a coin that I'm mining, uh, you know, it's almost like a like shooting yourself on in, in your foot. So to kind of mm -hmm. combat that, uh, we have uh, sometime this year, uh, something called chain locks coming up, which allow 
uh, we have like a master node layer that kind of makes sure that the incentivized nodes also help to secure the chain. Yeah, proof of work for distribution, which still provides uh, security, but the, the chain loss means that means I also have to kind of take over a significant proportion of the master nodes to be able to do a double span attack or stuff like that. So I think that's a, a really good uh, way to have the distribution of proof of work while maintaining a high security levels for a for mid cap coin. Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, uh, definitely looking forward to uh, what uh, what the rest of 2020 has in store. Has the uh, coronavirus uh, impacted your roadmap at all? Your your hiring plans? Um, other other milestones or or kind of key developments get pushed out, or is it a business as usual? Otherwise, with a distributed team. Um, well, I mean, in terms of working, I think it hasn't affected us. Most of us have been working from home anyway. It's, mm -hmm. been, it's I guess, a good thing of being distributed. Uh, but on, on the funding side, it has been uh, definitely very challenging. Um, but I see it as, I don't know, I actually, I know it's a weird way to say it, I'm actually glad that we had the, the downturn because it makes... Uh, you know, first of all, it weeds out the projects that like just spending money for no good reason, right? It's like mm -hmm. anyone who remains are, are, are hopefully the in it for the long term because they've gone through this suffering. Uh, <laughs> but definitely because we're funded from the block reward, uh, a price drop definitely hurts our budget. And one of the really cool things is that uh, because we want the decentralized funding, we don't want to be just having a block reward forever i mean that's not good so we have been actually uh, starting new uh, funding mechanisms like the zcs which is the zcoin crowdfunding system similar to like monero's uh, ccs uh, mm -hmm. that has been really good many people have contributed to uh, you know funding site tasks uh, of, of development like oh you know i want this integration or i want like maybe a better GUI. So we have been able to raise uh, funds from our community to actually fund those projects. And just uh, one or two weeks ago, we, we launched an open collective, which allows people to donate or make a monthly contribution. So almost like a more free open source type of model where people can contribute. You know, they get perks, almost like a Patreon for, for, for open source projects. Uh, mm -hmm. And we've been getting quite... Pretty pretty nice uh, donations. Like people have been donating like a hundred USD uh, a month, and every little bit counts. So we definitely had to scale back a bit on, I guess, uh, like marketing and stuff like that. Uh, we have managed to retain all our developers and cryptographers, so we're still chugging along. Uh, and I think that's really important in this thing. But you know, like uh, marketing people and other stuff. Uh, yeah, those unfortunately had to be let go. So that's kind of how we, we approached it. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. Um, well, Ruben, uh, really appreciate you joining uh, for, uh, for this conversation and uh, definitely looking forward to what the rest of the year has in store. Like I said, um, where can people find you online and the project? Um, I mean, we can go all to our website at zcoin.io. We have mm -hmm. a really uh, active Telegram community at Zcoin Project, which also links to our Discord. So just go to zcoin.io. It has all the community links there. And 
we'll really, uh, you know, you can talk to me directly on the channel. So we're pretty open. And, uh, <laughs> and, and how about you? Are you on Twitter? I'm on Twitter uh, and on Zcoin official. Personally, I'm Z Ruben Z. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, those are good ways to, to get in touch. Excellent. Um, well, thank you again. Uh, and thank you, everybody that's uh, tuning in either on YouTube or your favorite podcast player. Um, we have another great episode coming up uh, in uh, just a few minutes. Uh, so look forward to hearing more about another project, uh, which uh, will, will be on a little bit later tonight. But uh, Ruben, thank you very much for, for joining us. And uh, I'll take a brief intermission and uh, get right back with an interview uh, with Zilliqa. Um, thanks again. Uh, nice and uh, Ruben, take care. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Luca. Save money this tax season with Luca Tax, the only time-tested crypto tax software. Luca has listened to your feedback and now lets you calculate capital gains and losses, seeing the results using three different accounting methods side-by-side, -side, all for free. You only pay if you want to see their detailed tax reports and submit your forms using their software. Luca supports unlimited transaction downloads from all major exchanges and wallets and helps you optimize your tax reporting so you can max out this year's refund or minimize how much you have to pay. Luca wants to help Masari's unqualified opinions listeners save even more this year. So use promo code MasariTax and you'll get a discount. Much more importantly, you'll do your taxes correctly and stay out of jail. Download Luca Tax at Luca with two Ks, tax.com and save money this tax season. This episode of the podcast brought to you by Crypto.com. We know times are tough. That's why Crypto.com is introducing three different measures to help its community with their new Crypto.com app and credit card. First, they're waiving the 3.5% credit card fee on all crypto purchases in the next three months. They're also offering 10% back when you use the MCO Visa card on food and grocery shopping. And as always, you can buy gift cards on the Crypto.com app for merchants like Whole Foods, Safeway, Burger King, and more with 20% back on food and an additional 10% back on groceries. So download the Crypto.com app today. And I'm excited to bring another phenomenal guest uh, to today's program, talking about Colin, head of marketing at Zillica, a smart contract platform based in Singapore. Singapore, right? It's late. That's here. right. It's early there. But um, you've you, uh, been trying to get this on the books for, for a couple of weeks, so appreciate your patience here. Um, Zillica has been... Um, an early supporter and collaborator with Masari uh, since way back in 2018. Uh, we're going to cover a lot of ground. We're going to talk about the platform itself, some of the key milestones um, and initiatives and, and community investments um, that are underway. And um, most importantly, you might be wondering why this is part of a double feature with a privacy coin. Well, um, one thing that we wanted to do was take a look at some of the uh, top performing projects and um, projects that uh, were continuing to operate, maybe a little bit under the radar, uh, in the uh, middle tier of the crypto market. So uh, we talked to Ruben, the first part of this conversation uh, from Zcoin, uh, one of the uh, largest privacy coins, but uh, still fifth largest on the depth chart. And now uh, excited to have a similar conversation with Colin, um, about maybe some of the, the challenges of building community and, uh, and ultimately finding a niche, carving out a niche in the smart contract realm as well. So Colin, uh, before we do that, why don't we uh, start off 
by just hearing a little bit more about your origin story. Um, what made you um, first get hooked uh, into crypto and, and, and how did you come to Zillica uh, and make the, make the leap from a, uh, a non-crypto career into, into the, the, the Wild West or Wild East in your case um, of, uh, of, of the, the crypto markets and, and in particular the smart contract markets? Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Uh, very happy to be on the, the podcast with you. And uh, I, I'd like to just um, think about where I started. And it was actually in the dot-com era. So really back in the 90s, um, we started thinking about how to use digital currency uh, even then. And uh, it never really quite took off. And so we went through the dot-com and I moved into mobile. And mobile was very transactional. But the operators were doing the billing. So we got the money secondhand. And when I first heard about uh, Bitcoin around about 2012, uh, someone said, hey, you know what? You can actually buy a copy with this digital currency and it's completely independent and it works. So I thought, well, that's interesting enough. And I stumbled into a, an exhibition and there was an ATM machine there on one of the stands. And the guy said, hey, do you want to buy Bitcoin? And I thought, okay. And I took $50, I stuck it in the ATM machine outspat a piece of paper with a QR code on it. He said, there you go. And then I had to do a bit of research to find out what I could do with it. And from 2013 till date, I have been researching a lot, uh, both uh, formally and informally, and obviously buying uh, coins and seeing what I could do with them and uh, thinking what impact Bitcoin, for example, and peer-to-peer currency has on humanity. So as an entrepreneur, I'm very interested in the business side of how this can actually work in everybody's hands day to day. So yeah, I got in in 2013, good time for sure. Um, that little piece of paper multiplied six times, I think, the, the money in that ATM machine. And that uh, triggered obviously some excitement as well. So now I think it is a, a world changing, humanity changing, groundbreaking technology. And I'm a big evangelist, of course. When did you come to Zillica? Zillica, my first experience was actually when they did a sort of mini launch in Singapore. Mm -hmm. um, there was a, obviously a meetup group, for, an Ethereum meetup group, which uh, had regular pitches. And uh, the, one of the original founders, Jin Shu, uh, was on stage talking about sharding. Um, just before I left for the UK, I spent a year in the UK. So um, 2017, I saw some written information. 2018, the actual pitch uh, that I saw uh, live, and um, it was amazing. I was just blown away with the transactions per second. Mm -hmm. um, so the job itself, sorry, the job itself was uh, I was uh, headhunted, so uh, I was sought out in Singapore for this role. And uh, as I was uh, a fan of the blockchain, I didn't have to think twice about going for it. Um, you know, Zillica uh, was one of the early um, ERC-20s to ultimately uh, migrate over to its own dedicated blockchain. Uh, you mentioned the focus has been on um, developing uh, sharding and, and, and implementing that new technology uh, well before uh, people could expect to see it in Ethereum 2.0. Uh, 
this is a luxury that you have as a slightly smaller platform and, and project to be able to push the envelope on some of these developments. Um, can you walk through uh, a little bit more around that transition um, and what it meant to leave the Ethereum ecosystem in some respects, even though you're, you're still, you know, collaborative and, and uh, able, I'm, I'm sure, to attract um, similar you know, ecosystem uh, participants for, for Zilliqa. Um, the uh, migration away from an ERC-20 to your own dedicated blockchain does, uh, in some respects, you know, put a partition between um, this project and, and uh, the folks that are otherwise looking to build on Ethereum or, or kind of leverage a lot of the tools that are already available. Um, how do you um, get all the benefits uh, out of Zilliqa that you want to in, in your own dedicated blockchain without losing all the community benefits or at least very quickly replicating those community benefits um, so that there isn't a, a pretty steep fall off in support and, and you know, tools that are, are compatible with, uh, with, with your blockchain and, um, and just generally, you know, community sentiment? Yeah, so obviously we have a, a dedication to our own uh, smart contract language, Zilla, and that is mm -hmm. uh, probably one of the most powerful attributes of the Zilliqa blockchain, the ability to write almost in natural language business processes, and it's safe by design. So it has uh, logic, which is better than almost any other smart contract language I, I've seen. I think our chief science officer yesterday posted about uh, Ethereum finally being able to separate uh, immutable and mutable properties in a smart contract. Uh, you know, Zilliqa is way ahead of many blockchains right now. And so we've uh, set our, our stall out and we've uh, invited the developer, com developer community to come to our platform with a number of different projects. We have something called Zillhive specifically, which invests in really good commercial ideas um, for startups who, and developers who want to create things on the Zilliqa blockchain. We also have a community effort called Zillacracy, which uh, opens up to anyone who has an idea, and then a community will form around that and build a project. So our outreach to the developer community is intense and growing. We have uh, developer evangelists who will go out to many events and, and when they come back, and of course do online webinars uh, and, and workshops to help uh, build a, a bigger developer base. And uh, we've also worked with people like Ivan on Tech to do uh, uh, Zillica and Scylla programming courses. Uh, and he's got a huge following and there's been a, a massive uh, increase in interest for, from the developer community for Scylla and for the Zillica blockchain. So there's been a significant investment, uh, financial and in human terms, to uh, drive the developer community to help understand the benefits of the Zillica blockchain. Mm-hmm. Um, and what were, um, you know, when, when you came in, um, this was right after the, uh, the migration, correct? The token swap. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Just that time. Yep. Um, yeah. so, um, the, uh, there was, you know, quite a bit of, of, capital available to, to kind of reinvest in the ecosystem, you know, smooth out some of the, um, some of the, you know, growing pains to, to move into your own blockchain. Um, what has been your role in um, deploying funds or, or, or catalyzing the rest of the ecosystem 
um, with a, a grants program, investment program, um, or is that a, a separately dedicated function uh, on the Zillica team? How, how do you think about your relationship uh, on the marketing side um, as, as community liaison? Yeah, it's a very important bridge. Uh, we have a growth team specifically there to build the ecosystem and uh, people in uh, specific roles within that team to grow different parts of that ecosystem. We have uh, ecosystem VP, we have a developer evangelist, we have growth analysts, uh, and a lot of people working on the strategic push into, into the industry and into the communities to help build that part of the business. From a marketing point of view, what we need to do is report back on all of that activity. There is a massive amount of activity going on at Zillica. It's almost hard to keep up, and we are constantly issuing media announcements, placements, updates, videos, uh, tweets. We're on Twitter a lot, updating the community on, on what we're doing. And I think over-engagement is the answer. I think over-communication is the answer. And I really want to get as much information out, even if it's uh, almost um, just being created for internally. We want to get that information out that we're working on something new or different or interesting, and we want the community to engage and give us feedback. So the staking uh, proposal, for example, is a huge exercise in trying to get feedback from the community on what they feel is the best way to uh, deploy it. And we've got some amazing feedback. There are some brilliant minds out there and uh, people are always happy to contribute. So from a marketing point of view, we are pushing every channel we can, but also doing a lot of social listening. So it's a two-way engagement with the community. Um, But Zillica has such a huge amount of uh, activity going on, I'm not short of ammunition to, to fire on into the marketplace, which can get noisy at times, but we are constant and relentless in our messaging, I think. Um, how do you think about keeping a, uh, a narrow focus or, or trying to carve out a niche uh, on the Zillica platform? Yes, uh, a lot of the early work was around sharding and, and having this you know highly scalable blockchain. Um, but you know, the, the, the question that, that I always have for, for projects that, that don't have the network effect of Ethereum is, is that enough, right? Does it matter if you're faster, if, if all the infrastructure and, and, and the, the majority of mind share, um, sits at the you know, largest asset, the largest couple of, of, of smart contract platforms. Um, and, and with Zillica, um, you do have a couple of different types, uh, of, uh, of applications that have gotten some traction. Uh, you've got the um, uh, some DeFi initiatives where you're working with the Monetary Authority of Singapore. Um, you, I believe, are still working with the Unstoppable Domains guys, uh, the, the um, uh, folks that, that actually just had a pretty meaningful integration with Opera last week, um, the top five web browser to incorporate .crypto domains. Um, what as you think about maybe the key themes of 2020, to, to me, it's stable coins, um, kind of uh, sensor resistant web. So, you know, the, kind of the, the web three um, thesis really playing out uh, and, and accelerating in importance, given what we're seeing in a macro level right now. Um, and then there's the, uh, the, the DeFi uh, space, which, 
has exploded and maybe come back down to earth marginally, but with everything that's going on with the coronavirus, just because it, it seems more experimental and less hard than some of the other areas of, of crypto development. Um, those are three wildly different things and, and, and with a uh, subscale ecosystem compared to the giants uh, in, in the realm, um, do you have to pick uh, or, or can you focus on enterprise, focus on stable coins, DeFi, and, and, and kind of take a, an all of the above approach uh, like uh, you'd see from, from Ethereum? Yeah, I think we are picking uh, for sure. We're looking at uh, open finance or OpFi as a, a way forward. Um, we also, of course, are creating a DeFi exchange with a partner called Switchio. Mm -hmm. uh, we have launched uh, with uh, Expos, our partner in Singapore, the first uh, effectively regulated stablecoin, XSGD, as part of the StraightX project, which is a very ambitious project to turn stablecoins uh, from uh, South, Southeast Asia into uh, a really solid uh, and usable uh, property for things like remittance. Remittance is a critical part of uh, the way of life in Southeast Asia. Uh, it's actually going to be a $270 billion business in the next five years. And uh, Western Union and folks like that have been taking a big cut for, for many years. Um, and we have the option now with uh, XSGD to build remittance with countries like um, Indonesia and just take a very small fraction of the exchange uh, to keep the network and costs obviously covered. Uh, and that helps uh, financial inclusion across many hundreds of millions of people. And we've seen bigger projects like Libra approach the same challenge, but I think we are going really uh, country to country and group to group in a very specific way, which is practical and will scale very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, if you if you rank over the applications right now, what, what are the uh, kind of largest third parties that are building on Zilliqa? And, and are they focusing exclusively on Zilliqa? Are there, are there certain applications that um, are more successfully deployed there? Um, where you're seeing any uh, developers specifically choose you either through, you know, kind of a, a multi-platform evaluation process. Um, and, um, and, and if you could just kind of elaborate on, on some of the things that those um, killer apps uh, teams are, are looking for right now. Yeah, so uh, <clears throat> big picture, the transactional uh, volume on uh, Zilliqa is quite high. If you look at uh, Flipside Crypto's analysis as well, they can they can give us good comparatives against other blockchains. So I think mm -hmm. our usage is pretty high even today. And companies like Unstoppable Domains have driven a lot of lot of traffic very early, which is a great proof point for us. Now moving into these larger partnerships with companies like Expos and Switchio. We have uh, really achieved uh, sort of enterprise level status where we can service really important projects at a high level and uh, guarantee the security of the transaction. The project we've worked on with uh, HG Exchange now is uh, a securities token offering platform, effectively uh, running fractional ownership of the uh, US uh, share market. So. Uh, HG Exchange is working in the Monetary Authority of Singapore Sandbox, and they are building out an exchange whereby uh, their members can uh, purchase shares in a fractional way uh, from 
for example, the US stock market or even locally some of our bigger players. And I think that that's another great uh, way of showing how adaptable the platform is, but how focused it is on uh, token tokenization and, and that kind of logic behind where the financial uh, community is going to go in future. So I think uh, the XG Exchange project uh, is going to come out here in Q2. It's going to be, again, the first regulated fractional ownership platform, uh, we think, anywhere. And it enables the uh, community to uh, buy and resell uh, parts of shares from other markets. So this is where we see the future of, of transactions, of value exchange. And I think it's probably one of the most exciting things we're working on. In terms of enterprise blockchain uh, activity, there are now starting to appear quite a lot of RFPs. So mm -hmm. we will always enter into the RFP uh, wherever we see ourselves as offering a, a USP or a distinct value to enterprise partners um, for the next big blockchain implementation. So my focus, of course, is, is going to be enterprise because I see the money is there. It's uh, you know a more traditional uh, software sale in a way, but uh, with all the excitement of the blockchain uh, attributes. So uh, we're we're in for a few RFPs as well. How does that split uh, work out between entities? Because the uh, the Zilliqa token is similar to Ether in that it's used to pay gas fees, and is kind of the native currency of of, of your blockchain. Um, is this like a Red Hat model? Is this um, uh, just a, a traditional, you know, software as a service uh, uh, business sitting alongside of these tokens? Are, are you using the tokens as incentives during these RFPs? Where does that factor in um, to uh, some of the enterprise client bids that you're putting in? Yeah, I mean, obviously. Uh, we've been around for a while, so we know about Red Hat and uh, how, how to roll out um, uh, open source tech into a, a business environment. And I think that uh, that's not a bad model to follow. Um, there's um, obviously revenue to be made from professional services, from customization, from uh, actively creating products that fit a specific business or, or corporate RFP. So that is quite an important line for us, business model going forward. But also then you're equally driving transaction fees and taking a, a small margin on that uh, activity. So uh, anything that drives action into the network, that drives uh, gas fees uh, is good for us as well, good for the miners. Mm -hmm. um, let, let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the, the miners. Um, so you're gradually switching over to a proof of stake uh, mechanism. Um, well, for, first off, uh, how how did you start um, for uh, the the underlying you know staking mechanics? Because you had a cold start problem uh, when you were going through the token swap from ERC twenty. Um, to your own native blockchain, and then there was a recent consensus change um, that you initiated uh, just in the last couple of months. Well, I think uh, just overall, the logic has always been to have this combination of proof of work and uh, 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 practical Byzantine fault tolerance as well. So mm -hmm. 
we have uh, split the uh, logic into a very small component of mining to approve nodes, and then the nodes can, can process uh, going forward the transactions. So uh, the mining base is uh, quite different from uh, a Bitcoin mining, for example. So it only has to do a certain amount of uh, mining in a two or three hour period to approve a block. Um, we run 600 nodes per shard and, and it's probably the most secure way of doing uh, this kind of uh, blockchain um, management. The consensus mechanism isn't really affected, I think, by, by any part of um, uh, the issues that we had previously in, in the cold start, as you call it. So I, I think that uh, as a platform, uh, I mean, obviously we've gone up to 2,828 uh, uh, transactions per second on the test net. I, I think we're quite sure that it can process uh, very quickly and securely anything that we need to do in future. And we have about uh, 1,400 um, nodes which are doing the mining at the moment. And of course, we're going to add more uh, seed nodes with the staking proposition. So the staking proposition has got a lot of excitement recently. And we're looking forward to, to the partnerships that we'll make with the nodes. And uh, obviously, the more nodes we add, the more transactions we can process. What do you think ultimately uh, gets a project like Zilliqa um, into the you know top twenty uh, in in terms of uh, developer activity, in terms of market cap, um, and you know what are what are some of the pitfalls like it, and 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 when uh, if ever you know would there be a, a critical lower bound um, that you would worry about in in terms of of just project acceptance uh, you know holders. Uh, the 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 speed at which you can rise and fall from this you know middle tier uh, is is fairly significant. Um, it doesn't seem though that there's been that much turnover recently. It seems like you've kind of got these very clearly defined buckets in the top twenty. You know who the major players are. Um, the uh, 2017 crop that have already faded away and, and and more or less gone under. There's just these zombie chains. They're just floating around, you know, the, the 300,000 uh, range. And it doesn't really matter because, you know, people are just trading them a few dollars at a time on, on some of the more suspect exchanges worldwide. Um, at the same time, um, everybody uh, in that, you know, kind of middle tier is, is working feverishly on, uh, expanding their networks, actually finding some some killer applications, and um, uh, maybe it's it's you know just actually executing on some of these partnerships. But um, if you had to distill it down for both you, your team and for you know others that are in the situation, um, what ultimately moves the needle and 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 what keeps things moving forward? Well, I think there's again two areas: um, enterprise adoption where there are already masses of transactions taking place and we swap them over to the blockchain. This gives us an instant uh, volumetric increase. So finding partners that are likely to scale their business, which is a day-to-day -day recurring ongoing thing, uh, is really important. So working on those types of uh, projects. My feeling is that the uh, open finance uh, activity and the stable coins will grow significantly. Uh, the, project is very ambitious in terms of onboarding uh, partners, wallets, 
enabling the free flow of that currency. So that will increase and amplify over time. My own personal interest is mass adoption. And I often think that it does come top down rather than bottom up. So if you can find partners who can uh, switch people over to huge usage, um, whether they are entertainment companies looking to find different ways to receive payment and cut out the middlemen or uh, other ways of driving retail action, I think it also gets the headlines. So if you partner with a large brand and you help them acquire and onboard um, uh, subscribers, for example, and they use cryptocurrency to pay, then you've got uh, almost the perfect storm in our world. So uh, that's my real interest, personal interest and uh, operational interest is to onboard some very large players who drive uh, recurring, regular and, and significant numbers of transactions. That, that's very often going to be a nice to have though, especially in, in this environment. Um, have you seen, uh, given everything that's happening with the coronavirus, a slowdown in enterprise pilots uh, or, or you know, serious engagements to switch over any of their internal processes to, to something that's more experimental? Because you, know, you, you could talk about the throughput results that you have on the test net all you want, but for the larger entities, they're going to want to see some trial by fire. And, and now might be the time that they're getting uh, much less risk averse or, or sorry, much more risk averse um, than they were even at the beginning of the year. Um, have have you had conversations stall? Where where is the mindset of of you know some of the um, prospects that you've spoken with uh, about you know various partnerships over the course of the last couple of quarters? Yeah, so I mean, I think we're quite open and transparent in our communication to the community. The HC Exchange um, looking at launching end of Q one. Then, if you look at the global macro stock market, it was just too volatile. It was really difficult to think that that would be a great time to launch that platform. So there was a recognition, I think, from all parties that it would be good to uh, wait a while, let things settle down, and then come back when the time is right. Uh, so that does, of course, whether it was COVID-19 or you know uh, any other economic uh, activity by, by governments, uh, flooding the market with fiat, um, that uh, it really uh, helped helped uh, perhaps uh, change our view on how to and when to launch, not just launch for the sake of launching. But we haven't seen a slowdown in uh, requests for information, for interest, for how to apply the blockchain to businesses. Um, I don't think I've seen a busier bunch of people. We have nearly 30 staff um, I don't think I've seen a busier bunch of people working on multiple projects simultaneously in any of my other eras, either the internet era or mobile era. So I think the blockchain era is 10 times that, maybe 100 times that. I don't foresee any real change in enterprise looking to adopt a blockchain strategy in any and all part of their business in the next one to two years. And actually now is a really good time to do it when everyone is drill down focused internal, um, making sure everything works really well, rather than distracted by other things that may be going on. So it may be counterintuitive, but I think people are really zeroing in on their core business, how to improve it, how to cut out extraneous costs, and how to make tra transactions work uh, much more cheaply. So it's probably a good time. 
Colin, uh, where can people find you and uh, get more involved uh, with the project uh, and, and start playing around with uh, some of your libraries? Well, we have our website, zillica.com. So Z-I-L-L-I-Q-A.com. And you'll see a lot of options there, uh, obviously our entire history and a way to apply to the Zillhive project. If you have an idea or you have a business that you want to uh, try out on the Zillica blockchain, I'm on Twitter quite a lot. So at Colin Miles, all one word. And uh, again, we have a huge number of Telegram groups. Telegram is probably the most exciting social media part of our community. It's really uh, active and engaging. And uh, you get a lot in real time from people there. So it's a fantastic buzz. It's an amazing industry. And I feel like I'm uh, 26 again. Excellent. Well, I uh, definitely appreciate having you on and uh, love the paraphernalia in the, in the background. Uh, long live Kobe. Um, for, uh, for those of you who are tuning in either on YouTube or through your favorite podcast player, thank you uh, for that. And uh, please support our sponsors. Um, until next time, uh, Colin will have you on again soon. Uh, until next time, everybody else, we're here. Tuesdays and Thursdays with new podcast episodes twice a week, every week. Uh, and uh, I will look forward to seeing you soon in two days, that. four days, depending on exactly when it is you're, you're catching this. Um, looking forward to the next one. It's late here in the Citadel, as you can tell. Um, but uh, appreciate Colin. Uh, you joining from Singapore and uh, with any luck, we'll be able to grab a beer soon in person, not just through Zoom. Would love that. Cheers. All right. Thank you, everyone. Peace. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening. New episodes of Unqualified Opinions go live weekdays at noon Eastern time. You can follow me in the meantime on Twitter at 2BitIdiot if you want to continue the conversation or troll me. Otherwise, I'll see you next week.